0: All right, good morning, friends. Uh, Wow, another thanks to Justine for juggling all this. If things are going the way they're supposed to go, I'm live now. Really, seriously, I am live uh, right here. And we're going to uh, be taking a look this morning for our scripture study at Mark chapter uh, 18 as we hang out with Jesus again for a while this
1: morning. to tell
2: anyone about him. He then began to teach
0: them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is God's word to us, and we give him thanks. So I'm going to just check quickly a moment with our friends in the place. We're good? We're going? We're rolling? All right. All right. So I've, uh, I've titled this message, and because I like to give messages, titles, I've titled it The Turn of the Story. But let me begin with a question for you. Have you noticed how the cross still remains a popular piece of jewelry? Has anybody out there ever worn a cross of course many of you have people people wear crosses as necklaces around their necks or they wear them dangling from their ears some even have crosses tattooed to their bodies all which is just fine but i sometimes find myself wondering i wonder um how many of these folks really understand the meaning of the cross Because here's the deal, understanding the meaning of the cross is fairly fundamental to Christianity, and it is a large part of understanding the life of Jesus, his mission in the world, and his expectations of those who choose to follow him. His life, his mission, his expectations, you'll hear me referring to that again. Today's Jesus story represents a turning point in the life and ministry and journey of Jesus. The earlier pages of Mark's gospel record Jesus in action in the company of his followers. Jesus going about doing good, healing the sick, casting out demons. Jesus raising the dead, feeding the hungry thousands with Five loaves of bread and a few fish, uh, um, stilling a violent storm at sea. Jesus, walking on the waters of Lake Galilee, confronting and confounding his enemies and speaking to the common folk about the things of God. It's been a good
1: ride for Jesus. It's been a good ride. From this moment forward, a cross, the cross, the real
0: thing, not a piece of jewelry, the cross will cast its shadow over the life and ministry of Jesus. And and Jesus, it appears, can see it coming.
1: Jesus.
2: by accident, I think, not by accident, that Jesus picks this as the place
0: where he, will, where he will ask his disciples life's most important question. Life's most important question. Who do you say I am? of Philippi, it helps to understand, was a city of God's. In years past, the city had been known as Benias in honor of the fertility god Baal, and the ruins of many shrines to Baal stood in the city as reminders of the pagan orgy worship that once dominated its cultural life. At yet another time, it was known as
1: Punai. had built a gleaming
0: white marble temple in honor of the Roman Caesars, declaring the emperors to be gods worthy of worship. So, as they walk along with the city of gods in the background, or perhaps with Caesar's temple right there in front of them, Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks, Who do people say I am? What are you hearing from others? People have seen my mighty works. People have seen my miracles. They've heard me speak with great authority about the things of God. So who do people say I am? Oh, says one of the twelve, some folks see John the Baptist in you. John was, you know, he was the people's hero. He stood up to King Agrippa King Herod Agrippa the son of Herod the Great and he, he spoke up for righteousness Herod killed John to silence his voice so so now Jesus the people see something of John in you another of the another of the twelve says well some see Elijah in you they remember how Elijah confronted the priests of Baal not long from this place and proved that our God is bigger than their God they re- they remember how Elijah stood up to the wicked and powerful King Ahab and his queen Jezebel they they remember how the prophets of old said Elijah would return one day the- to prepare us all for the coming of the Messiah many see Elijah in you they think you're here to prepare the way for the Messiah and Jesus others say well they say it- that you're like one of the prophets of old. They they see Amos in you as they as you identify with the poor and the oppressed and speak out for justice. They see Jeremiah in you as you call the nation to repentance. They, 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 they see Hosea in you as you speak of God's mercy and forgiveness, as you embrace outcasts and sinners. Many many jesus many see one of the prophets in you now as i imagine the story and i invite you to imagine the story with me jesus abruptly stops and gestures the 12 to move to the side of the room with here come come over here boys then having led them there jesus turns around to confront the twelve he Pauses briefly, perhaps, looks into the eyes of each of them and says, But what about you? Who do you say I am? John? What what about you? Who, Who do you say I am? Peter? What about you? Who do you say I am? James? Andrew? Matthew? Bartholomew? Judas? The rest? What about you? Who do you say I am? Now, fast forward 2,000 years, fast forward to today, to this virtual space we're in together, to here and now, Jesus puts the question to each of us as well. But what about you? Who do you say I am? It doesn't really matter what others say and think. It doesn't really matter what the preacher says or thinks it doesn't matter what your mother or father your grandmother or grandfather your favorite aunt or uncle your spouse or best friend says or thinks this this is personal says jesus just between you and me who do you say i am and and each of us must give answer well the disciples The disciples stand there in silence for a moment. Life's most important question, it's before them, it's dangling there in front of them, and most of them, it appears, are reluctant to give an answer, But, but one of them, one of them speaks up, and who is no surprise, bold, impulsive, impetuous, Simon Peter, who else? Peter thinks he knows what Jesus wants to hear. Master, says Peter, I, I think you are the Messiah. Yeah, yeah that's it. You, you are God's anointed one. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the one we've been expecting for hundreds of years, the one the prophets said God would send to set the people free. You, you are the Christ, Jesus. You, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. And the bells and the whistles of heaven go off because Peter had it right. The Messiah, the
2: Christ, the Son of the Living God, right here in their midst. Peter had it.
1: Now the turn. In the story, and it's not just to turn into. We seek to understand the life of Jesus, the mission of Jesus,
0: and what Jesus expects of those who choose to follow Him.
1: Look with me to verse thirty-one. He pulls no punches. He spoke plainly, using the
0: words, must suffer, be rejected, be killed. The disciples are stunned. They're not merely surprised, folks. They are stunned, bewildered. They don't get it. They saw glory, authority, power in the Messiah's future. They, They saw a palace and... And, and they saw a throne in a renovated, reinvigorated, free Jerusalem. They saw Jews who had been dispersed throughout the whole empire returning in mass to the new Jerusalem. They saw, they saw a kingdom with generous borders, a prosperous economy,
2: a mighty army to defend the nation against every enemy, but, but suffering. future. So, follow the story. Peter takes
0: Jesus aside. Got, got the picture? Peter takes Jesus aside. Peter figures that that since he has it right, Jesus must have it wrong. Jesus needs to be straightened out. You see, Jesus needs to be told how it How it's really supposed to be. What this Messiah thing is really all about. And Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. Now that I submit is an amusing picture to imagine. Peter scolding and correcting Jesus. But that's how it worked. Peter says to Jesus, Master, you've got to stop that kind of talk. You've got it all wrong. You should know better. Uh, Messiahs don't suffer and get rejected and die. Messiahs lead armies. Messiahs conquer enemies. Messiahs save the people. Messiahs restore the kingdom. Messiahs reign forever and ever and ever. You are the Messiah. You're not, you're not bound for suffering. You're bound for glory. And, and we're your followers. We're not bound for suffering. We're bound for glory with you. And in the mind of Jesus, I think, in the mind of Jesus, I suspect, it's deja vu. As he remembers that episode at the very outset of his ministry, it was right after his baptism when the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Remember it, would be. Remember, remember how Jesus' task had come to him. As Jesus came up from the waters of baptism god spoke to him the father saying you are my son whom i love with you i am well pleased and and jesus knew in that moment knew with great clarity that he had indeed been sent to the world to be its messiah to be to be the father's agent on a mission from god but then then god's spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness of temptation. That, that's what the book says. The Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. And there, there in the wilderness, alone with his thoughts, Jesus had to sort things out. What now? Jesus had to think things through. Jesus had determined to determine how he would accomplish the purpose, the mission for which he had been sent. What kind of Messiah would he be? There were choices. What methods of persuasion would he use to win the people to God? Would the means be consistent with the desired end? Three times, remember the story?
1: Three times Satan came to test Jesus. material needs make make
2: life easy for them and then they will follow you and love god
0: and and jesus now these next words are not in the text but they're in the text implied understood and jesus said "Satan, it will be a whole lot easier than that cross the father has planned for you or or jesus here's another idea Go to the top of the temple in Jerusalem and hurl yourself to the ground 600 feet below. And Jesus, just before you hit bottom, have God's invisible God's invisible angels, have them them come to your rescue. Land softly before an awestruck crowd with your cloak fluttering in the wind behind you like some some superhero. Do something spectacular like that. Do it over and over and over again, Jesus. Wow the people, Jesus. Then they will listen to you. Then they will follow you. Then they will love God. And, And Jesus be a whole lot easier than that cross the father has planned for you one one more idea son of god said the tempter bow down and worship me as if i am god you don't even have to mean it just drop to your knees go through the motions give in to me for just one fleeting moment and i will give you All the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus, said Satan once more, Jesus, it will be so much easier than that cross the Father has planned for you. Three times the tempter came. And three times Jesus said no to the evil
2: one. No, 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 Satan. I'll do it the Father's way rather than your way. I'll do
1: it. once
2: again said no to the tempter. It's at verse 33.
0: But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. Friends, with these words, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. And the cross the story is turned the journey will be different now once again Jesus surrenders his own will and his own desire to the greater will and the greater desire of the one he calls father and he invites his disciples and the crown and us to do likewise Listen to Jesus' words. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? Whoa slow down, Jesus. To follow you means denying myself, taking up a cross, losing my life in order to save it. Sounds like you're asking
2: for a turn in my story.
1: Philip Yancey, the Christian. servants. For the
0: stars, professional athletes, famous authors, TV personalities, Yancey says he has so much sympathy. Those idols, he said, are often as miserable a group of people as I have ever met. They they appear to have more troubled marriages, tormented psyches, and incurable
2: self-doubts than most. The servants, on the other hand, says Yancey, relief workers,
1: to uphold them as inspiring
0: examples, I was not however prepared to envy
1: them but as I now reflect on the two groups
2: they have found them let me tell you about Charlotte
0: Wyckoff never heard of her? Well, that's sort of the point. Charlotte Wyckoff, born in 1893, she was the only daughter of John Henry and Jet Root Wyckoff who were pioneer missionaries of the American Arcot Mission of the Reformed Church in America in India. Charlotte Wyckoff. In 1940, Charlotte Wyckoff petitioned the Diocese of Madras for permission to work as a missionary in the remote villages of the South Arcot area in South India. Ms. Wyckoff was at the time, she was serving as the principal of the Chatur Girls School. It was a well-established Christian institution. It was a comfortable and rewarding position. She was at first denied permission to make the move she wanted to make because the move to the remote rural villages was considered too risky for a woman. But she was one of those kinds of women. After a long time, due to her persistence, she was granted permission to make the move. So in January of 1941, Charlotte Wyckoff went to the village of Mandagapet and pitched her tent by the side of a tank. That's how the story is told. She pitched her tent by the side of a tank, likely a tank for collecting water. She started a small medical first aid center there but the upper caste hindus of the village would not tolerate her service in their midst primarily because her ministry was to the dalits the dalits the word dalit means ground or broken in pieces it it refers to people who have been broken or ground down by those above them in a deliberate and active and systematic way. Dalit refers to those who are tr- traditionally known as outcasts or untouchables in India, and yet they're the people that do the very things at the bottom rung that nobody else wants done but everybody knows needs doing. As opposition to her service mounted in Mandagapat, a determined Charlotte Wyckoff Well, she moved her tent to the village of josin where she founded a small hospital with special attention given to pregnant women, A year later, she launched a Christian secondary school that exists to this very day and is named after her. I've been there. I've seen it. She also started a daycare center. She started a primary school. She started a night school for the illiterate masses of adults. She started a leprosy clinic, and she planted churches. In the name of Jesus, Charlotte Wyckoff gave her life away in service to the poor and the outcast, the Dalits. A servant to servants, never a star. Here's how she is described by the folks in India at the mission station she founded. Their words now, not mine. I just read them. She was instrumental in founding and building many village congregations for the kingdom of God. She remained a spinster till her death and sacrificed her life for the sake of the Lord's ministry. She loved the poor rural people and worked tirelessly. She chose a remote village unlike other missionaries who lived in towns and cities. She identified herself with the poor masses. So she lived a simple life under a small, typical rural thatched roof with mud walls like the homes of the poor. She used to visit villages on foot and by bullock cart if the distance was long. She was interested in the welfare and uplifting of women and female children. She took delight in
1: feeding the hungry. It would not be an exaggeration to call her...
2: She was ailing from a brain tumor during her last days and breathed her last on July
0: 22, 1966. As she could not reserve a place at the cemetery, could not afford it, her body was cremated
2: and hence even her tomb
0: cannot be found there. But, oh hear this, please hear this, the words of those she served, but, The light she lit at Josie-Nilai is shining bright, guiding the people around here, even now. And we are reminded of the words of Jesus. At least we should be. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for you? What good is it for you?
2: Gain the whole world,
0: and yet forfeit your soul. Friends, Jesus is telling us, and no uncertain terms, Jesus is telling us that self-centeredness and self-indulgence are not the way to self-fulfillment. Hear that again. Self-centeredness and self-indulgence are, are not the way to self-fulfillment. No, self-surrender is the way to self-fulfillment. To deny yourself, and lose your life, is to give up self-centered living for God-centered living. It is to abandon self-will for God's will. And you do not have to travel to India. You do not have to travel to Africa. You do not have to travel to South America to do that. You can do it right where God has planted you. E. Stanley Jones the great Methodist missionary, also to India, had a lot to say on the subject of self-surrender. Let me, let me throw at you some random quotes from Brother Stanley. Just, just listen to this. He said, The self-centered are trying to live in an impossible way, namely, as though they are the center of the universe and they are not God is." He said, When you try to digest self-centeredness, the stomach turns sour. You're not made to be the center of the universe. God is. He said, if you make self-centeredness your driving urge, you will be allergic
1: to yourself. He said, in the self are doomed
0: to ultimate sterility
1: and death. He said
2: is a declining decaying person. And
0: finally he said this The most absolutely happy people of the world are those who choose to care until it hurts. The most miserable people are those who center upon themselves and deliberately shun the cares of others in the interest of their own happiness. Wow. A prominent West Coast businessman by the name of Howard Butt wrote an article some years back, I confess a lot of years back, but I saved this kind of stuff. He called it the art of being a big shot. (laughs) Here's some of what he said. He wrote, it is my pride that makes me independent of God. It is appealing to me to feel that I am the master of my faith, that I run my own life, call my own shots, go it alone, but that feeling is my basic dishonesty. I can't go it alone. I have to get help from other people and and I can't ultimately rely on myself I'm dependent on God for my very next breath. It is dishonest of me to pretend that I am anything but human, small, weak, and limited. So living independent of God is self-delusion. It's not not just a matter of pride being an unfortunate little trait and humility being an attractive little virtue. No. It is my inner psychological integrity that is at stake. When I am conceited, that is self-centered. I'm lying to myself about what I am. I'm pretending to be God and not human. My pride is the idolatrous worship of myself. And that is the national religion of hell. you got to hear that again. My pride... Is the idolatrous worship of myself. And that is the national religion of hell. Listen again to the words of Jesus. For whoever wants to save their life will
1: lose it. But whoever loses their life for me. from self-will and the way of the crowd.
2: It is paying attention to the needs around you. And it is the term Jesus
1: invites
2: their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So wear your crosses
0: with humble dignity. Wear your crosses with conviction and as a witness to your decision to follow Jesus in a life of surrender to the will and the ways of God because that's what the cross means. A willingness to move away from self and towards God. Away from self and towards others. Away from stardom and towards servanthood. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me?
2: God, uh, you convict
0: us by your word, through your word. And especially through the life of Jesus, the one who shows us what it means to have you at the center of life. Jesus, who is you at the center of the life of the world, inviting us to follow, to follow meaning to live like him and to love like him. To be Focused on what it meant what it means to serve rather than what it means to be served. Serve to it, not start it. It is our calling. Thank you, Jesus.